Good morning. Isn't it a beautiful day? We've spent a few days together reflecting. Our first message we captured in one short phrase which says, Let the Lord be the love of your life. Our second message we captured in one phrase that says, The key to the code, the Bible code, is to read and heed. And finally, last night, we spent a few moments here reflecting on the great God we serve. And we captured that message in one line saying, To know God, don't say no to God. We're glad you've joined us again for our continued journey in what I call the Journal of Jesus. Let us pray. Bless us now, Lord, as we take some moments to reflect on what a wonderful God we serve. May we draw nearer to your throne today. Hide me in Jesus so that my words will be your words to everyone's heart. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Ever heard of, uh, what's it called, Kuma Satra? Anybody heard of Kuma Satra? One hand Okay, two hands. Yes, not too many have heard of... Actually, Kama Sutra. I messed up those syllables there. Okay, let's see the hands now. Ah, come on. Yes, yes. Interesting. Good. Kama Sutra. That worm, that malicious worm that some diabolical mind created... (laughs) to infect computers. I was reading a little bit about it. It was released, supposed to be released this month, February 3. But it's fascinating what it said. It copies itself to shared networks and then sends itself to email addresses found on afflicted computers. But what's interesting, it lures the reader with a little salacious headline. It says something like this. If you see the attachment, it says, give me a kiss. Or... Schoolgirls' fantasies gone bad. You have to click on to those things that entice you. Clever. That's just the way it is with sin, isn't it? There is something that catches your attention that tempts you. And of course, you know, Mark Twain says, Oh, I've got no problems with temptation. I've resisted it, what's it, a thousand times, eh? But not the sin itself. <laughs> Okay, let's look at the Bible. We've talked about the good news so far. Let's now talk about, if you want to, today, the bad news. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. We want to go from the good news, the good news of God's love for us, the good news of of the Bible, the good news of the great God we serve. Let's now go to the bad news. You know, sometimes you have to listen to the bad news also so you can get a complete picture, right? Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the bad news. Just six crisp words at the beginning of that entire verse that says, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, the soul who sins shall what? Shall die. The soul who sins shall die. The rest of the verse just says, you know, everybody has to bear their own guilt. It doesn't, you don't pass guilt on. Now go with me to Romans chapter 3, because the question says, how many of us, will die. Romans chapter 3, the soul that sins shall die. How many does that include? Romans 3 in the New Testament gives us the answer to that question. Romans 3 verse 23. Now obviously it's a continuation of a thought. 
that starts in verse 21, but I want to pick up just those short few words there, about 10 or 12 words, for how many have sinned? What does your Bible say? All. Notice the word A-L-L. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't leave any human being out. And by the way, we know there's only one exception. And who was that? Jesus. The Bible says He never sinned, never committed any wrong. But for the rest of us, it includes everybody. Now, by the way, the Bible has actually many different definitions of sin. One of the most common we use is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Some of you might know it. What is sin? Sin is transgression of the law, or in modern language, lawlessness. But actually, the Bible has more than one definition. That's probably the one of the best known ones. Sin is lawlessness. But the Bible also talks about sin actually as a broken relationship. Sin as a revolt against God, sin as an act, all kinds of definitions. But in essence, sin is best described if we go back to Isaiah chapter 59. Turn in your Bibles now to Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 3. Because here Isaiah captures the essence of this whole concept of what really is sin. This is the bad news. We'll come up with some goodness before the day is over. So don't leave us. Isaiah 59, verses 1, 2, and 3. Ultimately, this is what sin is. Let's read this carefully. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now here it is, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. And it continues, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Notice it says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. And incidentally, just a by the way, there are several words that are used in the original Hebrew language and in the Greek language for sin. Just as in English when we talk with each other, we say, hey man, you wronged me. Or, you really did me bad. Whatever term we use, we say, she sinned against me. We use different different words to convey a similar concept. Now in the Bible, there are mainly three, in the Old Testament, three main words for sin. I want us to go back to a verse I used last night briefly. We'll come back to Isaiah 59 in a moment. But go quickly to Exodus chapter 34. We talked about it last night within the concept. Yes, we want to give you some good news right now. We were talking about the bad news. Everyone has sinned, okay? But I want to remind you about some of the good news as well right here. And to look at three words that show us different concepts of sin. I, uh, is he, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. Exodus 34, verse 7. Talking about God, this merciful God. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands. And last night we showed you that it was actually thousands of generations. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 brings that out. Keeping mercy for thousands of generations. Forgiving iniquity. Notice, iniquity. There it is, the first word. And what? Transgression. And what? And sin. Interesting. Forgiving. God forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And the reason for the three words is because actually in a certain sense, three kinds of sin. As you look at the word iniquity, and I thought I'd give you just a quick study of that. Iniquity is generally seen as crookedness or perverseness, moral distortion. 
That's how it is understood. It's a specific word. Sometimes it's used for the word guilt. Okay? The second one, transgression, that is a deliberate rebellion. Choosing to do wrong. Like a child who says, I'm going to do it. The mother says, don't do it. I'm going to do it. And the kid runs it and does it anyway. Direct rebellion. And then, of course, the other word for sin is to miss the mark. Ever happened to you? Anybody? Done some archery? And you're shooting at something, shoot, shooting at a target, and you somebody distracts you, and that arrow goes way off. Okay? Now, not that you intended to hit over there, but because you were distracted. You were not able to keep your eyes on the mark. So these are three different things. But by the way, they are all sin. They all hurt people. Now, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 59. Back to chapter 59. Notice here what it says. Your iniquities, chapter 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. God doesn't hear because we continue doing what we want to. We've been separated. Is there any hope for us? Oh, let's go to that beautiful story back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. I want to get, give you the picture of the kind of God we serve because yes, our iniquities, our sins... God hides His face from that. It separates us from God. But what does He do? What does He do when our sins separate us from Him? The beautiful picture right there in Genesis, the first problem, the first problem parents, if you want to call it that, Adam and Eve, the children that God had created. Look at verse 8. You know what had happened by this time. Adam and Eve had both sinned. They fled. Now notice chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's what sin does, folk. Generally, uh, but I want to make a little caveat here. Unfortunately, in today's society, it's unbelievable. And I've been reflecting on this more and more. It almost looks like people are proud of their sins. Isn't it interesting? It used to be that people were ashamed of their sins. But nowadays, it's almost, look what I can do. Okay? It's the opposite. In the past, people used to run out of shame, hide themselves, cover themselves up. In fact, even if you go back to the Bible times, uh, the story of Judah... Uh, in Genesis 38, he was walking down the road and there he saw a woman of the street. Her face was covered. Nowadays, they are the least covered people on the streets. Okay, That's the difference. Society has changed radically from people who were ashamed of what they do to now everybody, in, in, in general terms, everybody has just come out of showing their, come and show where their sins are. It's amazing. All kinds of sins. I don't want to uh, separate one from the other. But here they ran from God. Notice verse 9. Then, this is an important point, folks. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him. Now, there are three words there. And those three words, it depends on how you perceive God as to what, what tone of voice you have for those words. Think about this. Did God say, where are you? Or did God say, as he came lovingly, where are you? Okay? It depends on your picture of God. This really is the picture of a God who is hungry, running after the runaways. 
And I see God as saying, Adam, where are you? Looking for him. Of course, God knew. But God wants a response from him. Look at verse 10. This is the picture of a God who runs after his runaway kids. The kids who have broken the relationship. So he said, this is Adam, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There it is. The shame of sin. You run and you hide. But it's the God who's running after you. Your sins separate you from God. You hide from Him. But God is running after you because He's trying to reclaim us. That's the picture of the God we serve. God wants to bring us back. And God says to him, He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? There's the question. God is asking. God knows the answer. But you know, God has to communicate and He wants us to reflect, to think and to respond. And of course, you see here, there is no peace. Beforehand, there was peace and harmony in the family. Notice what happens the moment sin enters. Then the man said, The woman... God asks a question, okay? Have you eaten from the tree? Notice, let's go back to the question. Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? That's the question. Does he answer it? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. His first words are, the woman. His second two words are, whom you gave. Ah, let's not just blame the woman, let's blame God. By the way, I bumped into a former student of mine. He'll remain unnamed. When he was at Southern many, many years ago, he was um, rather lean. And when I bumped into him again, uh, he had uh, filled out, to say it nicely. And he had filled out substantially. And I looked at him and he realized that I was uh, having a difficult time recognizing him. And uh, he told me, he said, I am. And I I greeted him, yes, you know. But I looked again and he said, oh... My wife's cooking. (laughs) And I'll admit, I thought of Adam right away. (laughs) Oh, yes. How often we blame someone else. It wasn't, you know, I have a problem with my appetite. No, no. And he should have said that. He should have said that. But it was my wife's cooking. Oh, it reminded me so much of Adam. Yes, the woman, the woman. We call this the blame game. I was, I was tempted to ask how many of you have ever played that, but we don't want confession time yet, all right? The blame game. But you see, the problem is when we blame someone else, ultimately, folks, we're blaming God. Mm-hmm. We're blaming God. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree. And at the end, he says, oh, and I ate. <laughs> God says, did you eat? He should have said, yes, Lord, I ate. No, right at the end, once he's made all of these excuses, then he briefly adds, and I ate. It's almost like it's accidental. I didn't mean to get it in my mouth, but it just fell in there, you know. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of my dad. I've told this story before, but not in this group here. My father, as he was growing up, Ah, uh, he told me the story, so I, I know it's authentic. He, uh, he, he had a difficult time going to school. He didn't like going to school. So on his way to school, he would come across this beautiful pond, kind of a small lake, and he loved to swim, and he'd go and swim in the lake and to come back at the time that classes ended, you know, our kids do it. And my grandmother would look at him and say, Alwyn, 
Did you go to school? Yeah. Uh, Alwyn, why are you so wet? Oh, but, but, but mom, it is so hard. It is so hard. The devil tempts me. And his mother, you get it? It's the blame game again. Okay, even as a kid, he knew the game. The, his mom said, the next time the devil tempts you, say, get behind me, Satan. Okay, goes again on his way to school, doesn't get to school, ends up swimming in that beautiful lake. Comes back, did you go to school, Elwin? Uh, yeah, well, why are you still wet behind your ears? He didn't dry off properly. Well, well, uh, 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 did you tell, did you do what I told you? Yes, yes, mom, I did. I said, get behind me, Satan. He pushed me into the water and I had to swim to save my life. Uh, clever kids, huh? The blame game, the blame game. You smile, but you know what? It's a fact. It's a fact. How often do you, how often do I, Blame someone else. And ultimately blame God. Sad, sad story. Story's not done. Let's carry on. What happens? And the Lord God, go to verse 13. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Now what should the woman have said? Sorry, Lord, I took and ate. No, the serpent deceived me. The blame game continues. The serpent, the serpent that you made, Lord, you are to blame for my sin. Ultimately, it's what the accusation amounts to. The serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, it is so common for people to do that. Anybody been stopped for speeding ever in your life? I'm going to raise my hand. Okay? I'm not asking you for the next thing. Okay? What happened? (laughs) Because what happens next is most interesting. So often... The policeman stops you, and what do you do? Uh, sir, I, I, all kinds of what comes out of your mouth immediately. Excuses. Excuses, right? I happened to be working on the island of Guam a few years, and people warned me, if you ever get stopped by Officer Cruz, there's no way out. You will be fined. Well, there came that day. I wasn't speeding. On the island of Guam, it's almost impossible to speed. But I was going around a circle, and suddenly I realized I didn't want to go home. I was going home the normal way, and I said, oh, no, I need to stop at the conference office. So I switched lanes within the circle, and it so happened to switch lanes in front of a policeman I didn't notice. And behind me, there was the light. And the moment I got pulled over, I looked at his name tag. Guess who it was? Officer Cruz. I thought, man, I have been nailed today. I looked at him. I said, officer. He said, you know what you did? Yes, I do, sir. But, notice, but, okay. But, I'm used to going home. He said, did you know that you broke the law? Yes, officer, but. And then I turned to him. I said, officer, I'm sorry. I was totally at fault. I, I made a mistake. I did the wrong thing. He looked at me. He was already writing the ticket. He looked at me. He grabbed the ticket and he tore it up. And I sat in the car in shock. Officer Cruz? Whoa! I believe Officer Cruz was so shocked that I apologized, he just tore it up. 
I wonder if somebody else had done that before. Maybe I was the first one. I don't know. I have no idea. But you know, I thought of that experience. I thought, you know, it is healthy to confess. Because confession brings peace besides sometimes not getting a ticket. Okay? It brings peace of mind. You know, so many times we find excuses and excuses. Let's carry on with our story in the Bible, because here they had these excuses, but you know, in spite of their excuses, we serve a merciful, loving God. They didn't confess. There's nothing in the Bible that says they said we're sorry. No, go down to verse 15. Despite their lack of confession, God was still going to do something for them, because they should have died immediately. But look what it says, verse 15, and here's the hint of hope of a gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. My Bible has a capital S there, implying Jesus Christ. And and Christian scholars have seen this as that early prediction of Jesus coming. He, Jesus, shall bruise your... um, Sorry, Satan shall bruise his head and you shall bruise his heel. Actually, it is the other way around. Jesus bruises the heel. Uh, uh, Jesus' heel gets bruised and Satan's head will get bruised. Yes, because Satan will be destroyed. So this is the hint of the gospel. Go down to verse 21, because this is where I want to show you what God does. Okay? This is what God practically does. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made what? Tunics of skin and clothed them. Now think for a moment, where did the skin come from? Aha! An animal had to die. This is the beginning of what we call the sacrificial system. In in its seed, just beginning. I want you to go to me, with me now to the book of Leviticus. Very briefly, the book of Leviticus, by the way, is saturated with all these sacrifices. And here in Genesis, we see the beginning of the sacrificial system. My Bible has an introduction at the top of Leviticus. It's God's guidebook for His newly redeemed people, showing them how to worship, serve, and obey a holy God. So this is what this book is about. Fellowship with God through sacrifice and obedience. Show the awesome holiness of God, of the God of Israel. Now, I want you to notice the, just the subheadings. My Bible has subheadings. If yours has, chapter 1, mine says, the burnt offering. Chapter 2, the grain offering. Chapter 3, the peace offering. Chapter 4, the sin offering. Chapter 5, the trespass offering. And on and on and on. Leviticus is named after the Levites. The Levites who are going to be there to serve in the sanctuary. The whole book is saturated with important information for ancient Israel as to how and what they should do if they sinned. Even if they sinned unintentionally. Anybody ever come to you and said, did you know that you really, really offended so-and-so? And you say, I did? And they, I said, what did I say? Oh, when you said such-and-such, such, she got offended. But I didn't mean that. Unintentional sin. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 4, because sometimes, sometimes it happens that you step on people's toes totally unintentionally. Isn't that true? Now the question is, have you sinned? The answer is, yes you have. Now you didn't mean it, you didn't intend it, but guess who got hurt? Somebody else. And to them, you have hurt them, therefore you have sinned. And the Bible even has sacrifices for those things. Look at it, chapter chapter 4, if anyone, verse 27, chapter 4, verse 27, if anyone of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if you sin, verse 28, 
which he has committed comes to his knowledge, okay, somebody tells you about it, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sins, for the sin which he committed, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of its blood and with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. Wow! In other words, if you hurt somebody else, even unintentionally, in ancient Israel, there you had to go to the sanctuary and have a sacrifice. Let me ask you the question. If you say something about somebody else, and you never meant to hurt them, but that person got hurt, what is the implication? What should you do? Go and say sorry. I'm so sorry for what I said. I did not intend to harm you in any way. Please forgive me. Even for unintentional sin, because somebody has been hurt. Very interesting. Now, when you study the whole Levitical system, the sanctuary system, it's very interesting that three major things come out from the study of it. Number one, there's the laying on of hands on the animal. Symbolically transferring your sins. The animal then is killed. This is the blood, this is the substitute, because the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says, the wages of sin is what? Is death. So you don't have to die, and so you transfer it onto the, the animal. The animal then loses its life, but then the blood in some manner is taken into the sanctuary during the daily services. We'll talk more about the sanctuary later on and, and what happens in the sanctuary. But here we find these things happening even for unintentional sin. Now skip with me to the next chapter, two chapters later on, chapter 6, because you know, sometimes it's not just unintentional, sometimes we plan it, because we choose to get even. Okay? And by the way, few people ever get even, they always go overboard. You know that. So, what happens when we actually... Sin by choice. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 2. Those are the strong words here. If a person sins and commits a trespass. Strong word. Rebellious act against the Lord. How? A rebellious act against the Lord by doing what? By lying to his neighbor. Yes. If you lie to your neighbor, you're sinning against God. Interesting. And about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor. Skip to verse 4. Then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what he was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found. Verse 6. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. And verse 7, So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. Incidentally, it's very interesting. <clears throat> it talks about restoring, restoring, giving back what you have taken. Put in parentheses there, right by that verse, put it right there by verse Chapter 6, verse 4, if you have a pen or pencil, pencil, because I want you later on to read Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 15. It talks again about the importance of making things right by giving back what you have taken. Now, this is not easy sometimes, but you know what? By God's grace, we can do it. Going back and taking care of things. And as a result, verse 7, right here, chapter, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 7 says, So the priest shall make atonement for him. 
before the Lord. Atonement. They've broken that word up in English, at-one-ment. And it's correct to look at the word, because you see, sin separates you. And now you are brought back together. Reconciliation. And what happens when there's reconciliation, folks? There is a peace in your life. I've got to share with you a story. It happened not too far from here. Inland Empire. I was told that I am right now in this area. I was here about a dozen years ago. I came here to visit one of my uh, students. I was on vacation. And uh, I try to plan things when I have a chance to go and put in something fun. And right up here, there was the Inland Empire 15K Racewalk. And I was serious into racewalking back then, and I thought I could do okay, and I came along, I got into the race. But if you're going to do it technically and correctly, there are judges all along the way, and they're very fair. Three judges, different judges, must check to see. So there's no connivance. Nobody, just one judge who doesn't like you. There must be three separate judges in three different places who decide that you are wrong in your walking. Because, you see, if you don't walk right, you might be running or whatever, and it won't be fair with the rest of the walkers. So here I was on this race walk. And I was walking. It was a loop. You go up a few kilometers, I think three or five kilometers up and back, so you can do this loop. Uh, I think it was 3K, and uh, we would loop five times. Well, I hadn't learned how to walk properly yet. I'm talking about race walking, okay? <laughs> so here I was, and within maybe uh, first uh, mile or so, I heard a judge say, number, let's say, 346, bent knee, bent knee. Huh? You're not supposed to bend your knees in a certain place. Okay, that's where they get that characteristic hip swing of the, of the race walkers. Have you ever seen them on the Olympics? I said, oh no, and so I'm trying to keep my knees straight. It's pretty hard if you don't know what you're doing. Oh, a few minutes later, number 346, bent knee, and I knew I had one more chance. And this is a dozen years ago, before the three strikes and your outlaw even became law in California. <clears throat> but sure enough, before one third of the race was up, number 346, three strikes and you're out. And I was disqualified from the race. I was so embarrassed. So embarrassed. I didn't want to go back to the start because everybody would know I have my number on my, my gear. <laughs> you see, this is what happens when you sin, right? Now this is, this is that unintentional sinning. I missed the mark. I had tried to walk with my knees straight. I hadn't tried to walk with bent knees. I had missed the mark, but I had sinned. I was disqualified. I was so embarrassed, so ashamed. I walked way around in the park to get to my vehicle. And I slunk into my car. And... Uh, you know what often happens with some of us? Jumped in the car, and I drove straight to Taco Bell. <laughs> you know, I said, i got to go and treat myself. <laughs> I felt bad, you know. I was like, the only time I was ever here in California to do this, and there I sat in Taco Bell, and I was busy eating. And so, every race, they give you what they call a goodie bag. If you've ever been to races, a little goodie bag, something like this. And so I, you know, while I was now pacifying myself with a nice couple of uh, vegetarian Mexican pizzas, I was there sitting, and I was looking through my goodie bag. I said, hmm, they gave me a little, back then they call them a fanny pack, Inland Empire, 5 to 15, oh yes, good. And I put my hand in, I pulled that, ah, another one, two of them. I said, wow, 
I've never gotten two. I'd been to some other races before. And I sat there and I ate my pizza and I said, ah, I deserve to. I deserve to. I mean, they disqualified me. I didn't even get to do the whole race. But then, you know, the strange little feeling came up here. What if they did it by accident? I said, oh, oh, I'll give one to my wife so we'll have matching fanny packs. And then again, that little voice said, are you sure they meant to give you two? And I said, oh, I, I cannot take it back because I'm expected to, to meet this friend of mine who dropped me off at the race and, and I cannot go back to the race to return the second one. I found every excuse not to go back. And that voice kept bothering me, bothering me. And by the way, just so that you know, at this point in time, I was a professor teaching pastors, training pastors at Southern Adventist University. I'm just letting you know, we also struggle with self-justification, the blame game. Eventually, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going back, you know. And so I got up from Taco Bell, and I went straight back to the race. And uh, by that time, the race was over, and everybody was now inside this big hall. And so I slipped into the back quietly, and I sat down there, and I walked over to somebody, and I said, by the way, I pulled, I pulled this out, I said, did you intend to give me two of these? And the lady looked at me, she said, oh, no, 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 we meant to give you one. Thank you so much for bringing it back. Now, if you want the second one, you can pay so much. I said, no, thanks. And I was, I felt so at ease. And, and what's the best word? I, I felt I was exhausted from struggling with this voice that I just collapsed in the couch there for a moment. Because at last I had listened to the voice that said, go back. I knew what that voice was. Return that which you have, even though taken unintentionally. And as I sat there in a few moments of peace and atonement, if you please, relaxing, suddenly I heard them mentioning my name. I thought, what are they calling my name for? Oh no, they're going to announce that I'm one of those who was disqualified. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, what am I doing here? And I sat there in silence. And then I heard them still mentioning my name under their breath. And I, they, they were saying, is Ron Dupre here? And I, I went up because I thought, it didn't sound like they were going to embarrass me. And it sounded something better than that. So I went to the table. I said, I'm here. And they said, oh, oh, yes, Ron Dupre is here. We'd like you to come to the front. We have a trophy for you. <laughs> a trophy. You happen to be the person who has come from the greatest distance. So we are giving you what's called the Long Distance Participant Trophy. I brought it with me today because I carry this with me, folks, for the only reason to remind me and you listen to the voice. I did not deserve this in the least. If I did not listen to that voice if I've continued with my blame game at Taco Bell, all I would have had was more tacos. Okay? With nothing to remind me of how important it is. I, did I deserve this? Not at all. I didn't deserve this. But I keep this plaque as a reminder how important it is when the Spirit speaks, folks, listen to that voice. I don't deserve this in the least. 
This I keep as a memento of God's grace in my life. God is so good. That's what He did with Adam and Eve. He ran after them. He called them back. Not just called them back. He killed the lamb. The reason reason Adam and Eve didn't die, God had said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall what? Surely die. Why didn't they die? Because a lamb was substituted for Adam and Eve that day. An animal died so that they may live. And who does the lamb represent? Jesus Christ. There's this beautiful saying right here on the wall. By, read it with me, by His stripes we are healed. You read it for the scripture reading. It is only because of Jesus Christ that we can live. And as I look at this, I say, thank God for His grace. Thank God He has been so good. Don't play the blame game. And by the way, as I said again, it's nothing to do with me. This has got nothing to do with me. The only thing you might say is, you got it because you listened to the Lord. That's right. The only reason we can have eternal life is if we listen to the Lord. Listen to His voice. Let me show you the evidence for that. Quickly, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 13. A few more verses here, just to remind you, this has got nothing to do with salvation by works, not in the least. This is It's impossible for you and for me to do this on our own. We cannot save ourselves. Jeremiah says it in such incredibly beautiful language. And of course, it goes back to Africa, where I'm from. Notice where he's, what he says. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian, can the African, in other words, can a, a black man become white? Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? The rhetorical answer is what? No. Okay? Now, if you could, then may you also do good who are accustomed to evil. We cannot. How do I know that? Go to Romans chapter 7. Quickly, a few verses that just remind us. It is impossible for us to do good. We cannot. We have to have a radical change in our lives. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Here is Paul speaking. Romans chapter 7. Plaintive words. Romans 7 verse 18. Just a few verses here. And he has many ways that he describes this. But he says here in verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will, the desire is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Verse 19, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And he goes on to verse 24 and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't stop there. That's the bad news. Verse 25 is the good news, folks. He says, I thank God. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is the answer. The only way is through Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot save ourselves. We can do nothing of ourselves. Absolutely nothing. It is only as we go to Jesus Christ that He will wipe out our sins, that He will bear our transgressions, as we read in that scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Only Jesus Christ can transform us, can cleanse us, can forgive us. Let's go to one more verse. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. It's only Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with us. Our only choice and our only thing that we should do is to listen and to respond. To read and to heed. 
to accept his offer. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. The beloved John says it so beautifully. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Stop right there. You know, I had been a Christian for many years and I never understood the difference between... Oh, wait a minute. Why does He say God has given us eternal life but we die? Until I understood the, the difference between eternal life, which you can have right now, eternal life, and the state called immortality. Aha! Immortality will be conveyed upon us by God's grace at the coming of Jesus. That's when we become immortal. But right now, right here, you and I can have the assurance, the absolute assurance that we have eternal life if we accept Jesus Christ. That is possible. So that's why John can say, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Eternal life is not immortality. You get that? Okay? Eternal life is the, is what God has given us, but then, even though we might die right now, when Jesus comes, we will be resurrected, then we will be given immortality. Yes, the two go hand in hand, you cannot separate them, but we can have eternal life right now, even though we are not yet immortal. Immortality comes when Jesus comes at the second coming. But right now, right here, you and I can have as a guarantee, as a reality, eternal life. That promise that God has given to us. Let's read verse 12. He who has the Son has life. That's eternal life. Okay? And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And in chapter 10, verse 10 of his book, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have what? Life. And that they might have it, how? More abundantly. Life here and in the life to come. An incredible story I came across. I heard about it. I went and read up on it. It happened in the summer of 1941. It was probably the last day of July, the best the recollection is. The camp sirens went off because three prisoners had escaped. Very soon, the Nazi guards brought all the people together from the blocks from which they had escaped. The rule was, if somebody escapes from your block, detention block, you folk are responsible. You are supposed to make sure that nobody escapes, was the theory. What did they do? said, okay, three men escaped. We are going to take reprisals. Ten men will be chosen at random and they will die in place of the three who escaped. So the Nazi guard selected ten men at random. And as they selected a man by the name of Franciszek Gojarnitschek, this is of course in Auschwitz in Poland, as they called him out, he simply blurted out, Oh, my poor wife, my poor children, I shall never see them again. His automatic instinctive cry as he was called out. Then, suddenly, unexpectedly, prisoner branded number 16670 
stepped forward. He looked straight at the guard, talked to him in Russian. The guard was clearly surprised, taken by surprise. And the guard responded, okay. What he had said in German, this was of course in Poland, but that man, Maximilian Kolbe, spoke German. He said to the guard, send that man back into line. I will take his place. And soon the ten condemned men were marched off. Maximilian Kolbe was a priest in his 40s. They were marched off to that death bunker, underground cells, where the men were left isolated with no food, no water, and no fresh air to slowly, painfully starve and dehydrate. Maximilian Kolbe Kolbe gave his life for that condemned man. The priest stepped in in order to save a condemned man. As I think back on that incredible story, and yes, those men all died. Slowly but surely, they perished one after another. Two weeks went by. Somehow, by God's grace, Maximilian did not die at that point. The Germans became so angry, they eventually came and they injected him with carbonic acid to hasten his death. As I think of what Maximilian, the priest, Maximilian Kolbe did, I think of another priest, Jesus Christ, who is called our high priest in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, who is willing to step forward and say, I will take the place of those condemned people. Let me die in their place. Jesus Christ, the priest, who also, according to the Bible, is the sacrificial victim, the Lamb. Remember what John the baptizer said? Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. As I think of what Jesus did, my brother, my sister, my friend, what can I say but praise God? He is so gracious. He offers to die in my place, in your place. I don't know where you are in your life experience. But when I look at the way the Lord has led me in my life, His grace for me, reminding me that constantly in different ways, He loves me. He will shower me with His grace if only I will turn to Him. And so I want you to reflect, because today I would like to make an altar call. But are we going to ask our pianist to come and play for us? It's a beautiful hymn. And I want you to think very seriously about the words of this hymn. Hymn number 189, it simply says, All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. I want you to sing this and think about it very, very carefully. Because as we sing, I want you to reflect. Because today, in between the verses, I'm going to make specific altar calls. I'm going to invite some of you to come forward. Specifically, I'm asking those of you who might have last night. Last night we had you write on a piece of paper. And I know, I praise God, there were some here last night who wrote down, for the first time in my life, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If you were here last night, We're going to invite you to come forward. And anybody else who wants to join you, I'm going to step down here and come and be with you. Shall we stand as we sing the first stanza of All That Thrills My Soul Is Jesus.
invite you to kneel reverently as we have our benediction. And I'd also like to have a special prayer on those who have come this morning for rededication to the Lord. Holy Father, thank you so very, very much for Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to come and live and die for us. To take away our sins, Father, and to give us the guarantee, the absolute assurance of eternal life. Father, right now we have had several who have come forward in a public commitment, a public recommitment, a rededication of life to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will take every heart that is here into your hands, symbolically, in this recommitment, and that each heart that is coming here will be renewed, revived, reformed into your image, so that others will see Jesus in a brand new and glorifying way through their lives. Lord, I want to pray for others. There might be some here still struggling, Lord, wrestling with that voice that is calling. Thank you for being such a wonderful God who runs after the runaways because you love us. We thank you, Lord, for that. We love you for that. And it is only because of that that we can say, May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.